Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity, where we talk about design, development, and all the other crazy sort of stuff that we find online. Uh, my name is Alex, as usual, the host, whatever. And uh, with me, my co-host <laughs> is Chris Perko. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hey, how's it going? How's everybody doing? Um, go for it. Like you answer uh, first. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm I'm finally settled in Atlanta and ready to make some more videos. So nice it's going well how That's, are you uh pretty good pretty good finally a sunny day in vancouver after probably seven months of rain and snow uh yeah i feel uh, sun deprived <laughs> and it was like <laughs> it's kind of like an effect like a vampire that goes outside in the sun for the first time after centuries of sleeping in a in a coffin yeah it was it was nice um so you've been away for two three weeks or stuff like that from mm -hmm. the the internet uh, because yeah. you moved tell us a little bit about it what happened where where did you go yeah so uh, i was living in san antonio texas which is uh very far south um you know just a couple hours away from mexico nice. um my wife got a job here in atlanta georgia which is all the way on the east coast mm -hmm. um it was about a thousand miles which uh i think that was um what, 1600 kilometers so it was a it was a long move um very stressful <laughs> oh yeah and uh now we're finally settled in and i feel like i can finally relax and just oh my know, god do my thing <laughs> did you drive there did you take a flight mm -hmm. like did you drive yes yeah so the last time i moved cross country we moved our stuff i drove the truck and it was horrendous <laughs> uh so this time we we paid somebody to take all of our stuff okay. um and we drove across country with our two dogs and a cat and luggage and dog food and bowls and it was crazy oh <laughs> i saw that amazing picture that if you want to send me later i'm gonna put it on top of, of the video uh of your dog that didn't want to sleep it was like sitting oh, yes. standing <laughs> it was like eyes closed because yeah. it was falling asleep probably it was so tired but he didn't want to sleep <laughs> yeah he loves the car he was so excited and he just i kept telling him oh, he had a bed back there i was like just lay down go to sleep nope <laughs> nope he just I was like, fell asleep sitting up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just stubborn stubborn oh my god yes. oh that's intense man uh, uh, how many hours of driving were uh, I think it took about 15. Um, we were originally going to split it up over three days and mm -hmm. leave Friday night and get here Sunday, like around noon. Um, but Friday night in attempts to capture my cat and put her in a carrier, she broke a nail. So we ended up spending about four hours at the emergency vet. Oh, no. <laughs> so instead of starting on Saturday morning at Houston, we started in San Antonio. We're a good four hours behind. And, Damn uh, it. So, yeah, it was... <laughs> It was an adventure. Yeah, exactly. That's why I like dogs more than cats, right? Yes. Just get in the car and just, like, just do it. Yeah, so like, this is exciting. Let's go. And all. Cats are assholes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're settled and uh, you're back on track. How is that um, affecting your uh, your work? Because you work remotely, mm -hmm. like 100% remotely. How did that happen? Like, how did you manage to not lose complete <laughs> like lose your mind and working <laughs> while moving while packing while unpacking all this kind of stuff um weekends and late nights was really that was <laughs> you know packing on the week the the last few days before we moved uh we were very far behind in our packing so the the night before the mover showed up we were up till i think 3 a.m just throwing stuff in boxes so now we're opening boxes and finding things that were like why do we have this <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, 
Yeah, after the move, though, it, it's been good because um, a majority of our team is on central time. Hmm. And now I'm an hour ahead. So, um, you know, after we do a release in a production, I have an hour start on the day. I can get up and, and make sure that nothing's just completely broken. Um, so we get like a full extra hour of support during the day. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that That's one of the like the pros and cons of working completely remotely is that because of the difference in time zone, probably you're like you can start ahead or you have extra time after everyone went to sleep to be sure that all the things that you did are not broken or you're not pushing bugs to production and stuff like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Awesome, awesome, that's fantastic. Um, okay, so today's episode, it's we don't have one specific topic, but we have a bunch of different topics, a bunch of news, some are related to design, some to development, some are more just like general topics about funny things that we found. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, let's start first. Basically, I'm gonna start with you because you seem to be kind of the expert here. I mean, I, I took a look, but I'm not 100% sure what we're talking about. Um, Tailwind, Tailwind CSS mm -hmm. is this utility first CSS framework that we talked about probably the last episode, a couple of episodes ago. And um, Adam, the developer, the creator of Tailwind just released a new update, the 0.5.1, where introduced this plugin section. What, mm -hmm. is, what are these plugins? Tell us a little bit about this thing. Yeah, so the plugins are, are a really, really cool feature. And I think this is gonna really make Tailwind just an awesome tool to use. Um, you know, I, I've talked a little bit on my series about building custom components, uh, you know, like, like buttons on your page. You want all your buttons to look the same. You don't really want your HTML to all have these, you know, 10 classes on every single button. Yeah. Because when you come back later and you're like, I want to change the border radius, you're gonna have to go and find them all. Um, so the plugins allow a developer to create um, a package basically that could describe what a button is, you know, .btn or .btn primary or, you know, form inputs and build all these components. And it's written in a really easy to read JavaScript file. Mm -hmm. And you can then, for the developer consuming it, putting it on their own site, they just go into the Tailwind config file. There's a plugin section. And all they do is just require that file. And all of a sudden they have all these pre-made components. So for a developer like me who really sucks at design, <laughs> um, you know, you could make a really cool plugin that is, uh, you know, really beautifully styled form inputs. And I could just grab that, use these classes, and my site now looks amazing. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't have 20 classes on a single HTML yeah. uh, object. Yeah, I'm looking at the syntax. It looks... Mm -hmm. really convenient and really clean. The thing that is not clear for me is that, uh, for example, there's the example in the documentation about adding the components for a button. And mm -hmm. every single declaration of like the attributes of the button are written as like regular CSS. So uh, 25 REM, uh, the hash of the color and mm -hmm. all the other stuff. It would be possible, I'm not sure, to actually grab the variables that have been declared in the same config file of Tailwind. Yes, yeah, there is um, a section on there for referencing the user's config. Uh, it's kind of near the bottom of the documentation, uh -huh. but you can grab things like um, like the screen sizes if you want to make sure all of your, your element works responsibly with the same 
breakpoints that the user oh, has. Oh, there set you up go. Yes. References so, yeah, to the can, user's config. Yeah. Yeah. So you can definitely reference all the all the variables in the config. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really handy because it would be kind of like stupid. You define all your spacing, so like padding is margins, yeah. and then you create the component and you have to redeclare those. And if you change them, they don't match. So yeah, that's really great. Awesome. Um, so did you try to create some custom plugins or some custom components implementations for it? Uh, not yet. I, I think this was just released three days ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I haven't yet. Um, I'm planning, I'm working right now on, on rebuilding my personal website and I haven't started yet. I'm still trying to lay everything out, mm -hmm. but I'm planning on um, building all the components as plugins. And that way, if somebody wants to reuse kind of my design, they can just grab it from NPM or Bower or mm -hmm. wherever and just do a one-line require and, and you're good to go. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. That's something that I noticed because I'm at my office at my work. We're using Tailwind to rebuild a new version of Ritual Music. And the first thing that I noticed is was kind of like weird to implement new things. Or for example, like Tailwind completely lacks a section for CSS3 transitions and animations or mm -hmm. transformation, like more advanced stuff. And mm -hmm. I was kind of forced to create a separated SCSS file to then import it inside the basic SCSS before the Tailwind things and then compile mm -hmm. everything with post CSS and Webpack. And that was kind of like convoluted and using Yes, I was able to use some commands and some specific shortcut to access the config files and import my variables and configuration, but it felt a bit disconnected. Mm -hmm. Instead, I guess with this thing, it would be really like more consistent to create extra sections and extra stuff like exactly like the transitions and animation stuff. Um, quick question. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. think that because of this component thing now, we're gonna see a sort of like bootstrap type of <laughs> uh, change in the Tailwind because now users will be able to create their own themes and components with this new stuff. So pretty much yeah. the web is gonna start using pre-built themes based on Tailwind and all the website will start to look <laughs> alike <laughs> or look identical. I, I think there'll be a mix. Um, you know, for me personally, if I'm working on a project and I just want to get something started quickly and just get it completed and just have a working product, I'll I'll still grab something like Bootstrap just because, like, yeah, it looks like every other site out there, but I'm going to have something working and looking halfway decent in no time. Yeah. Um, and at the other on the other side, if you really want something custom looking, you can just use the the basic Tailwind classes, you know, right out of the box and mm -hmm. and make something that looks completely unique. So I think there'll be a mix. I, I don't know if there'll be any kind of one plugin that everybody's just like a go-to or if we'll just have like a huge like plugin store and um, everybody will just be kind of grabbing whatever they like. Yeah, awesome, interesting. Um, another thing, I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm, I'm curious to test about like the difference in performance because you can potentially create your own components by using the at apply in an SCSS mm -hmm. file. Did you notice any performance differences in like, or it's stated somewhere, if you create a component via the plugin or if you create a component via the SCSS by using the apply uh, method, it's better, it's worse. Do you know anything about this? 
Uh, I haven't done any like benchmarking or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to be careful if you if you tell something, you know, I want this to be able to have colors and be responsive and be hovered, you know, because then you're going to have that one class become 20 and yeah. it's just going to make it really huge style sheet. Uh, so there's a lot of consideration in terms of the size of the file. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm not sure if uh, like using apply versus like a plugin would would make a difference or not. Yeah, true. Something that I'm trying to find, and I found some packages that they do something similar, but I'm not 100% satisfied. Uh, it's I would like for like a sort of like post script, not post script is not the right thing, but something that runs after you run npm or gulp that checks your compiled CSS file and compares it with all the classes that you're using in your site or in your HTML static PHP files. And if find some responsive utilities or some classes that are not used at all in your entire site, it just strips them out from the compiled CSS. That would be yeah, like exactly. super helpful. I don't know if it exists or... I don't know. I mean, I know there... I did come across a website the other day and I wish I had the URL. Um, and you can give it the URL you want it to check and it'll actually tell you if there's classes that are in the style sheet and it's not being used. Oh, nice. Um, but I'm not sure if there's anything... That you could run with like in like a gulp file that would do that for you um it'd be a good open source project to <laughs> oh yeah that would be helpful well uh, if you remember if you can find that website again i will search it anyway i'm gonna steal the source code <laughs> i gotta steal the code <laughs> that they're using probably it's a javascript like based something yeah. i will yeah definitely that would be super helpful can you imagine like piping the last action to i'm sure like everyone has Pretty much like 45% of their CSS is like useless. It's like never yeah. used. <laughs> Probably and you're using things and forget to remove it. Yeah. And... Or you have all these responsive utilities and then you actually use these small and large. <laughs> it's that different yeah. just to have like mobile desktop version and who cares? Everything else is fine. Uh, so yeah, that will, that will help a lot to optimize your assets. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think like I'm super super stoked about the direction tailwind is going like it's a super new thing like yes three months four months old not even Mm -hmm. and already leaped forward in the way how it structures itself and how it allows developers to extend it in in ways that other css frameworks never did like bootstrap foundation bulma or even like the default flexbox grid css everything it's like Rebuild package, you get it if you want to extend it, good luck. But instead, like Tailwind, it approaches in a completely different way, in a new way, and some hates it, some loves it, <laughs> but it's like yeah. everything else. But I'm I'm super excited about it. Oh yeah, and just seeing what they've done from you know something like Tachyons, which was already, you know, this type of you know, writing a million classes in your HTML. Mm-hmm. Um it's you know it's just taking it so much further. It's it's a really awesome tool. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Awesome. Okay, next topic is something that you proposed uh, based on uh, some considerations and some other stuff related to probably you saw, I don't know if you saw the first time on Laracast, but I noticed also in the subreddit of PHP that we're talking a lot, there were a lot of like 
inflamed discussion about this. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's the PHP subreddit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what can you do? It's just like a trash bin on fire. So yeah. like, <laughs> you cannot expect anything more. But um, I we're sharing these series from Laracast called Code Code Reflections. Um, Tell us a little bit about it, like what we're talking about this, mm -hmm. what are the, the main topics, arguments, and then we can we can chat about it. Yes, yeah, so this is something I've, I've been noticing lately, um, maybe the last year or so. Um, you know, I feel like several years ago we were very, you know, oh, TDD, you have to unit test every single function and, um, and you know, make sure everything works on the very small unit level or, you know, so following solid principles like to the T, you know, mm -hmm. single responsibility and all the stuff that would really in, in practice, it can cause a lot of problems. Um, I, for one, built an application at a job where we did a lot of training on solid. And so we took a small application, we built it, you know, following every, all the rules. And we had just for such a simple application, we had so many interfaces and so many classes that had like one little thing in them. And it really became a chore to remember where you need to go to make a change or to mm -hmm. add a new feature. Um, so like this, uh, this code reflections that Jeffrey Way did, I really liked it because he went through and did a refactor on the code base. Um, he's got like a, an open source forum and he started pulling out all these pieces of code and putting them in their own classes. And, and it was very clean and everything, but you know, at the end when he's looking at the comparison of what it was before to what it is now, he was just saying like, you know, just sit down and really think, is this better than the way it was before? It still works exactly the same. You don't have any new features, but in a few months, when you come back to this, are you going to remember where to go in order to, you know, modify this event that's happening on, on a model? Or is it better the way it was before where you just have the events on the model itself? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not solid, but it's easier for the developer. Mm hmm um, just for new developers or unexperienced developer, can you elaborate a little bit more? Can you explain what's like solid means and all the other amazing technical jargons that you just said? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's it's five principles. There's a single responsibility, which is a class should have one responsibility. Mm -hmm. I don't really agree with that in a lot of cases. Um, but uh, yeah, um, there's open close principle, which means uh, the the software should be open for extension but closed for modification. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of goes into the building tons of interfaces. Uh, the Liskov substitution principle, which I don't even remember what that was. <laughs> um, like old stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I'll just I'll just read it. Mm -hmm. uh, objects in a program should be replaceable with instances of their subtypes without altering the correctness of that program. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> interface segregation principle, you know, many client-specific interfaces are better than one general-purpose interface. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, dependency inversion principle, um, one should depend on abstractions, not concretions. So I don't know. I just I feel like all this kind of makes the architecture very complicated in a way. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really like it. That's oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's something that I learned while I was learning PHP. It was like really, it was kind of like all over my head. It was really hard to grasp this thing. I was trying to um, to understand. First, I was trying to learn PHP. 
And that's already a big challenge. It's really, really hard at the beginning. Plus, if you add all those things like, oh, you have to actually, you have to build an interface and the class should extend the interface. And then every single variable should be type hinted. Even if you're mm -hmm. just expecting strings, type hint a string is like, it doesn't matter. And then, right. uh, yeah, all these like extra strict rules that it depends for me was like, in this case that I'm building, they're not necessary. It's just like extra work that are not, is not like, is not gonna make my application better. And as you said, after two, three months, I'm coming back to the application. I completely forgot what I did. It's gonna take me like three times more to actually relearn everything that I did and go back and follow all the interfaces and other things that I, I built in order to just, just because I wanted to follow those strict rules. Uh, of course, there's always this debate between like really old bearded <laughs> PHP developers <laughs> like, no, you have to follow them because otherwise it's going to be chaos. It's going to be madness. And then like new developers or just even like old developers that they have a lot of years experience and they found out those are necessary only in specific moments are not always necessary. Uh, I honestly like I don't really understand the necessity of an interface if I have a single class and that's it. Like I have one class exactly. that it doesn't share, like I only build interface if I have multiple classes that they have to respect the same architecture and they have to respect mm -hmm. the same methods. And I, I am expecting the same results for all those different classes. Yes, extend with an interface so everything's consistent. But if you have one single class do you really need an interface for it? Like it's kind of like hmm. exactly. In that project we did, every class had an interface. Oh and my just, god! You know, oh, I want to make a change in my class. Oh, now I have to make a change to the interface, and then I gotta go find the interface, and it's it was a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a mess. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's also I don't know if uh, I don't remember where I read it, but probably from the next version. I'm not sure if it's hundred percent true if I'm remembering wrong, but from the ne next version of PHP, type hinting will be required while you run PHP unit to do some test. Really? So all wow, the PHP I'd unit tests from PHP unit seven point something. I don't remember. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I read this and it was shared between. Jeffrey Way and Taylor Otwell, and they were like, oh, I guess I'm going to stop using PHP unit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's going to break a lot of software. Yes, exactly. That's insane. Is it really necessary to type in? What do you think? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it can be definitely useful in some cases, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're doing dependency injection. Um, but, you know, in languages like PHP, you know, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh yeah, it's not it's not necessary absolutely. Uh I don't know, man. It's like it's a really it's a really tough argument because there are pros and cons to both approaches, but mm -hmm. always like everything in life it should be base by base. You cannot generalize on what's better, what's not just because like if you're doing something and you feel like your own project, your small project is like hyper convoluted and it shouldn't be probably the regular solid approach is not the best approach and yep. it's okay to not follow it it's something that i'm not sure if it's stated or like a lot of young developers 
know this, but it's okay to not follow the rules. As far as you mm -hmm. don't create massive bugs and you don't like <laughs> destroy your software, it's okay to not be strict or something. You're going to learn it. You're going to have time to learn it. And it's fine. It's not that you're a less developer than someone else or like you're, you're not as good as someone else. It's just like, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen this change in uh, like the TDD I was mentioning. Um, you know, I've seen this a lot and we practice it at, at where I work. Um, I mean, I'm lucky to work on a very small team as part of a large corporation. So we get to kind of make our own rules. We're not tied to any kind of big corporate yeah. architecture. Um, but, you know, I have a function that adds two things together. Like, I don't care about testing that because I'm testing the API endpoint. Yeah. If I'm calling it through the API, I know it works. If somebody goes and changes that function, then my test hits the API and gives it two numbers and expects them to be mm -hmm. added together, it's going to break. Yeah. Um, and a few years ago, it was, you know, by the book, like you have to test every function and, and test the function that uses that function. And it was just, you spend so much time writing tests that you don't even write any actual code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's a shitty part. <laughs> that's, yeah. very, that's, that's insane. Uh, just like to give a little background, uh, TDD is like test-driven development. Basically, it's uh, this strict rule that when you're building something, whatever software you're building, you first build the tests. You build the tests and all the tests fail because, of course, you don't have a single line of code in your software. And you start building your software in order to let those tests pass and let those tests success su succeed not success uh <laughs> but as you said like do we really need to test everything like i had a sort of like similar discussion with my junior developer at work he just came out from university and it was like no university they told me to just test everything the tdd every time we're not doing this it's like and we ended up I, I kind of like, okay, let's try your approach and we're going to see why your approach is like all over the place and we're going to drop it after a week because it's insane. We started <laughs> building front-end tests with Laravel Dusk to check even like the smallest thing. If I click on the login button, does it open the login form? Do you really need a test for that? <laughs> it's just, or you yeah. just access your website, you click, it opens, it's fine, it works. That's okay. Laravel Dusk is not going to add an extra layer of security or add an extra layer of, yes, your code is perfect because we have this front-end result. And mm -hmm. the same goes for the back-end. If, if you have tests for the core functionalities of your application, like the API endpoints, or if, you're, if you have a checkout process, you'll be sure that all the numbers, they respect the same format that you're expecting. It's like something really important. You can run tests we can build tests for those, but you don't need to build a test just to check if I ask for the user, I get the username back. Like it's yeah, kind of like <laughs> useless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm I'm personally just kind of following more of a a common sense approach. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just just what makes sense. Um, you know, going back to like solid, what how should the code be written that is easy for me to remember what I'm doing? Because um, I, I have a lot of side products. I'll work on it a little bit here, come back to it months later. And mm -hmm. and if it's not written in a way that I can understand what's going on, then, you know, it's it's crap. Like <laughs> It's going to take me so much <laughs> yes. time to get right back up. So, you know, I just, I just try to write it in a way that 
uh, just kind of makes sense. Um, I like to, instead of writing, like let's say like an API controller, you hit the controller and it, it does some magic. Mm-hmm. Instead of um, you know writing the functions that do the magic first and then the controller, I like to write the controller first because that way I can say, how do I want this code to look when I'm calling it versus mm-hmm. uh, just coming up with the functions first and then calling it. Um, I feel like it just ends up coming out a little cleaner. Yeah. You know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, another thing that I want to add to this is something that I don't know if you noticed that, but it's something that I notice a lot with junior developers is that most of the times because they rely a lot on testing, they don't actually test like visually or like manually use the code that they wrote. They write a code, the test pass, they ship it. They don't like even like put it on a server and test it or on their local server. They actually use the workflow that it just created to visually see the response in the browser. I noticed this kind of like trend, oh, the test passed, so I don't need to actually check the website if it's up and running. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like super, super weird. Like for me, it's (laughs) like mind blowing, like don't trust the test because that's also another thing, like your test could be written in a way that it passes, but it actually, it's not like, it is it, not a representation of your code, it's okay. The test could pass, but your code could have a bug because yes, you exactly. didn't write the test to check everything. Probably you wrote a superficial test, uh, something like really, I don't know, not in details and stuff like that. So it's super weird. <laughs> Yeah. And when you find a bug, that is a perfect time to write a test so that that bug never shows up ever again. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's pretty much it for this topic. Do you have something else to add to this code reflection other than use your brain and don't follow the rules? (laughs) Yeah. um, No, I I don't have anything else to add. Um, I definitely highly recommend uh, Laracast if if you're wanting to get into Laravel or even just PHP. He's Jeffrey Way has a lot of really good videos on on PHP development, um, unit testing, mm-hmm. um, and like these code reflections. Just use your use your brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you planning to start like a, a PHP class, a PHP series on your on your channel? Um, I don't know yet. Um, I kind of want to focus more on JavaScript. I'm mm-hmm. I'm thinking about. It's been a long time since I've done like game development, but um, I'm thinking about doing like a game development and JavaScript series. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Still need to do a lot of research before I'm ready to <laughs> start, start talking about it. Awesome. Okay. So probably next episode is going to be focused on how to build a game in JavaScript or something like that, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. No pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Next topic is first generic question. Do you use Google Chrome, only Chrome, just Chrome, forever Chrome or use something else <laughs> um personally yes um that's that's kind of my go-to and i i know it's terrible but it, it that's that's what i do <laughs> but uh yeah. so i do test on on ie and edge because um at work that's that's what we support we support ie and chrome mm-hmm. um we we also support firefox but i think at our organization hardly anybody uses firefox mm-hmm. um for my personal stuff, I'll do a little bit of testing on Firefox and IE. Uh, I'm not great at it, and I know that's something I definitely need to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, one browser that I never test on, and, and it's something I really hate Apple for, is Safari, um, because I don't own a Mac. 
I don't own an iPhone. Yeah. I don't have a way to run any kind of modern version of um, of the, their browser easily without paying for like a service like, um, oh, I forget the name of that service, where you can test it on like a million different browsers all at once. Oh, uh, um, li- Lithium? No, not Lithium. Something similar. Uh, don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's out there. <laughs> yeah, it's out there. Somebody Google it. <laughs> Put it in the comments. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, yeah, so like Safari, and I, I did have a bug once where I had something working in Chrome just fine, and and I sent it to my cousin to test, and she pulled it up on her iPhone. She's like, nothing's working, and yeah. and it was something in JavaScript that Safari did not support. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty terrible at, at cross-browser testing. I don't know. How, how about you? What What's your... What's your go-to browser? Uh, I'm lazy. I'm the laziest person ever. <laughs> I constantly jump between Google Chrome and Firefox be- because mostly of RAM consumption. Google Chrome is like RAM hogging like crazy. Uh, sometimes I have like five or six browser tabs open and I have like four gigs of RAM occupied by Chrome, which is <laughs> intense. Like It's really like, what, what the hell is going on? So I switched to Firefox, uses Firefox, but... I don't see the hype in this Firefox quantum. Like, I don't see, like, this huge improvement over Google Chrome. And most of the times, the, like, RAM consumption is pretty similar. So it's just, like, it. I keep jumping back and forth. But Google Chrome definitely is my go-to because everything works in it. And that's one of, like, the strength and the weakness of Google Chrome, I guess. Everything works so damn well in it that you don't stop thinking mm-hmm. it's my code that works great or it's actually the browser that it's changing my code to make it work properly and something that i noticed i was doing some tests i want to actually i want to try to do a video to make a video on on my channel to showcase some specific moment where this happens and mm-hmm. i noticed that uh, for, for Tailwind especially, like I was using Tailwind with Google Chrome, I accidentally put the font size instead of 0.5 REM, I put 0.05 REM, which is like probably one pixel, <laughs> even <laughs> less if it's converted. And on Google Chrome, it was looking fine because it was outer resizing to make it readable. Instead, on Firefox, it was just like a line, basically unreadable yeah. line of <laughs> things. But Google, like, if I was still, like, if I didn't check on Firefox, I would have shipped an unreadable website with, like, this super small text. It was just a line, which was, like, terrible. Um, even if you write bad HTML, like, you don't properly close your HTML tags, you don't use the proper script search or style... HRF kind of stuff. Google Chrome fixes everything for you. So even if you have multiple bugs, they don't show up. Google Chrome polishes your source code, which is, (laughs) it's cool, but it's also kind of insane. (laughs) And we're getting used to it. And especially Mm -hmm. uh, like the thing in this article that I'm sharing here on The Verge, they analyze the the usage of the browsers. And basically Google Chrome has sort of like 60% of the market share of browsers, which is identical to what Internet Explorer 6 had before the 
birth of Firefox when it was just like Internet Explorer, probably like Netscape and the early stages yeah, of Netscape Safari. Navigator. <laughs> Netscape Navigator was the thing, <laughs> was yeah. the shit. Uh, but yeah, so everyone is using Internet Explorer. Developers are testing less and less unless they are forced by corporations like, hey, internally we use Microsoft, we use Windows, so you yep. need to test for this. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's kind of insane. Uh, before, I remember like four, four years ago, even up until three years ago, cross-browser compatibility was the thing. Like you had to have this, absolutely. And we mm. used to support down to Internet Explorer 9, 10, 11, and then the new version of Edge. But today is not as considered as much and yeah yeah and i think part of that is the browsers have become much better at, at following web standards mm -hmm. um you know several years ago when you looked at like ie 7 or 8 it's they were horrible at following standards you'd have to write special code if it's an ie use this css rule and um you know so i think that that they're following standards a lot better so, you know, for me, I just go to like, can I use.com? I'm like, yeah. oh, can I use this? All right, cool. Like, I'll just trust that it works. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, the thing that I hate so much is how browsers are interacting on mobile or on touch interface. And one of the things that I hate the most is, as you said, Safari. Safari on iPhone is the worst in every sense of the way. <laughs> Uh, I really like you have so many issues when you're trying to use 100% height or like viewport height for your phone because when you scroll the viewport changes uh, mm -hmm. the top bar shrinks with that like elastic animation your viewport height yeah. changes and your entire site just like janky <laughs> jumps breaks everything yeah. I don't know why there was a bug I think they fixed it with the uh, uh, bootstrap model in overlay you basically the overlay the z index was creating an issue that was preventing the user to actually tap an input because it was like sort of like the dark overlay that you have when you open a model was actually on top like above the real mm. model um, and you can like if you force the overflow hidden of x or z or y you that elastic thing that you can like swipe down and refresh the page he's half broken all these kind of like weird things that <laughs> they don't care to test yeah. they don't care like they release a new version and sometimes like ios 11 has this new bug in safari and if you use chrome you have the same issue but if you use chrome in ios 10 you don't have that issue so it's like jesus <laughs> like i don't have 20 different iphones to test this thing yeah exactly yeah so yeah but uh definitely we should not follow the trend of just using one single browser and i'm seeing more and more recently some like alerts when i access a website with firefox that this website works best in google chrome <laughs> which is kind of stupid just a lazy developer <laughs> yeah it's like like firefox and google chrome yeah. they almost respect the same standards they almost have the same like you don't need to use anymore even in css the WebKit prefix like Firefox mm -hmm. and Google Chrome, they have like regular CSS3 declarations. You don't need to use any prefix, but right. a lot of developers, they don't even care to test it. They test it, maybe they open once Firefox, they see, oh, it doesn't work. Oh, let's put a message that, hey, use Chrome. <laughs> 
it's better. Yeah. And another thing that just keeps me a Chrome is um, I have I have a Google Pixel, so like all my bookmarks and everything on my computer, they're automatically on my phone. You know, I, I use Gmail, I use Google Docs. It just it's just everything works so well together. Mm-hmm. I'm just like I don't I don't even want to use another browser because I have all my stuff right here. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Is the is the ecosystem that messes up that keeps us yeah. in check? Mm-hmm. Everything works all yeah. together and. Pretty much everyone in the world probably uses Gmail. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, mm, I guess. Uh, I tried on Elementary OS to switch to Firefox 100%. Mm-hmm. And uh, the actually, I'm running the nightly developer preview, which is amazing because as the new top bar that it's fully integrated with GTK, so everything looks super nice oh, and native. Nice. Uh, yeah. But so many issues in running even YouTube or Netflix. Sometimes I get prompt with the stupid... You need the Flash plugin. What? Oh. <laughs> Flash? It's 2018. I still need to install yeah. Flash. <laughs> HTML5. Come on. Jesus. Yeah, it was like insane. Or sometimes, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of buggy. Um, especially because I noticed that I spend my life on websites that are probably just built by Google itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's why they work perfectly in Google Chrome, <laughs> not so perfectly in other browsers. Yeah, it's uh, such a weird thing. Um, let's jump back a little bit on Safari. Why do you hate it so much? <laughs> uh, there's just, when I've tested in the past, I've just found so many issues. Like it, it kind of reminded me of using an old version of IE. Yes. You know, like. Um, different sizings or look different or just things don't perform the way you expect them. And um, it, it's been a while since I've even tested on Safari um, because I, I did have a version installed on my work computer at my last job and I, I don't currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's just another issue with, with Apple, how it's so closed. You can't just go to safari.com and download a browser. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Oh, you don't, you're not using a Mac. So go away. Yeah. <laughs> Install, yeah, you don't want to be forced to install a virtual machine just for one browser. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's that's a pain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said that your your wife for work was mm-hmm. forced to switch to Mac. Yep, I right. gave her. A, I mean, it's a it's a nice brand new iMac, and uh, she absolutely hates it. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, yeah, is she so, using I mean, she's, Safari or she installed like you install Chrome? Uh, yeah, she said the first two things she did was install Chrome and to get the mouse to recognize right right mouse. Oh, click yeah. Button. So, yeah. So, <laughs> good. yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, I don't I feel like this is like a sort of like side tracking or something like not related to this topic, but I feel like in terms of user experience, because all of this is a lot of related to user experience, we're kind of like backtracking a lot. We're going backwards. Like we reached a point where user experience was good. We were able to pretty much use everything and everything was kind of intuited. And now we're trying to remove stuff because, oh no, this is useless. No, this, no one uses this and no one uses that. And we're trying to remove, 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 but we're, we're removing too much. And now it's getting like, ah, I don't, I don't know anymore. Random thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next topic. It's related to design something that I really, really care about. It's uh, an article from UX Collective, and the title of the article is like, Good to Great UI Animations Tip. 
tips, animation tips. Um, basically something that it's hard for me to let another developer to understand why animations are important. When I spend hours and hours in CSS training animations or like I trigger specific responsive thing with JavaScript and trying to, hey, when you click something, you should get a proper response. And if there's a slide animation, the slide animation should follow like a natural slide and the, the, the eye of the user shouldn't get lost. Why all of this is important? Uh, you mm -hmm. said you're not a designer. You you don't feel like you're good at design. Right. But <laughs> like from your personal experience, have you ever stopped thinking why a website is better than another? If you have like two websites that do pretty much the same thing or two applications that do the same thing, why one application is better than another? You feel more comfortable? Yeah. Um, for me, like I, I can look at websites and tell you like this is a crappy website or this one looks nice. Um, and a lot of my personal designs are just copies of things that I've seen that I like, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I've never had any kind of training in design. Um, I don't really understand why something looks good. Why, why do these colors go well together? Why does yeah. this font work in this place? You know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, that is definitely something that I don't quite understand. It's, yeah. um, you know, I used to always think like design was like, Oh, it's just like an art art thing. Like it's an artsy thing, but there's definitely like a science behind it. And I just, don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because even if you don't understand it, your brain automatically gets like attracted and your eye gets attracted to right. a good design. Even if like you don't have the technical knowledge to say this is good, this is bad. Automatically you go, you lean towards like, oh, this is better. I don't know why, but I feel better yeah. with this or using that. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely there's a science and it's so like mostly like... This article especially is really interesting because it, it, it like strips away any type of like color or indication or forms or like sizing and stuff like that. It mm -hmm. focuses on micro interactions and UX design, how to uh, improve the user experience by adding to your website that already works and already great, really small, meaningful UX interactions and animations. So mm -hmm. for example, we have an example here where you have like a sliding tab or like a simple tab with two different content. And the good example is that, yeah, you click on a tab and the content changes completely. But the great and best example is that if you have two tabs, one close to each other and you tap on one, the actual tab slides from the direction you actually tapped. And mm -hmm. it gives, other than giving you a sort of like three-dimensionality of like extra space. So you feel like there's something else outside the screen that I'm seeing. So stuff are physically living around me and they jump in when I call them. It follows your eye and follows your direction, like the direction where your thumb or your finger or your mouse clicks follows the full workflow that your brain is following. It's not just like a visual jump that you don't understand where it's coming from. Right. Uh, which is like, it feels like a super stupid thing. And sometimes when I'm, I'm designing or developing this thing and I'm doing these, I'm spending hours in doing prototypes to show them, Hey, I want to do this transition. I want to do this animation, this interaction. They don't really realize my clients or coworkers or stuff like that. They don't realize like, I, yeah, this is kind of useless because the site works Why you're spending so right. much time in adding this thing.
Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And um, I, I guess, it, you know, at the end of the day, businesses look at like what you're spending your time on. Is, is your product done? Can it sell? Okay. Why are you making it look prettier? You know? Um, True. But I mean, those interactions, I mean, you go to like, uh, like the, I think it's called code drops. I don't know if you ever read oh, yeah. their articles. Like they have some amazing interactions that are just so fluid and it's like, Man, like I want that on my site. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like those guys are incredible. They started yeah. doing that website, like I guess, like three years ago, four years ago, <laughs> when no one pretty much knew how to properly use CSS three animations, and they were doing yeah. all these crazy stuff without, like, with zero JavaScript. And I was like, oh my god, what is that? <laughs> Going from like the jQuery animations, where it just like constantly changed the CSS over time, yeah. to the browser actually just handling it, and just made it so much smoother. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't have any like CPU hogging, <laughs> or like <Yeah. laughs> you don't consume like thousands of gigabytes of RAM and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, those like those are perfect examples. But because even if you actually let me open this website, I'm gonna use my really noisy keyboard. Um, <laughs> With your new fancy. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I spent the entire night. Let's just like put him back <laughs> all those things. Okay, Code Drops, this website is the shit. Like if you're thinking to, even if you're just like a front-end developer or you wanna just give that sparkle of UX interactions to your website and you don't care about design, just follow these examples are all freebies. You can grab the source code and implement it. They're mostly based on just standard CSS. Mm -hmm. And the thing that surprises me is that how much I want those type of interactions that are just examples in a real website, how much I want yeah. actual websites to use those things because they're so easy to use. They don't lose me and they don't, it's not boring. It's not a boring experience and it's not even like wrong. It like feels so natural and so good to use. Just like, amazing amazing yeah it is amazing and the the things that svg can do these days on browsers is is also amazing i you know i look at people like uh sarah drasner oh yeah and like god like, how is she doing those things like <laughs> yeah it's insane um and they're super light the first thing that i noticed like every time like first time i was seeing this sort of transitions and animation I was like oh this is gonna destroy the computer of a user because it's just too heavy it's not possible instead mm -hmm. like opening the browser inspector is just like they work and it's all css based not heavy on javascript which is fantastic Mm -hmm. um, and it gives like such they're so like small meaningful animation that they make the interaction like the user to make interact with your website in a more natural and enjoyable way mm -hmm. that yes it doesn't improve anything in terms of like technical requirements it's not that your code is right. better with this it's just the user is not bored as hell <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> as fun like he has to he should have fun in using your website it should be engaging and mm -hmm. it's um i love it i love it it's fantastic uh, so definitely like yeah um it's it's hard to explain to um a new developer like a junior developer why these small things they matter a lot mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm noticing also on like recruitment websites or even on LinkedIn, the roles for UX or interaction designer are 
increasing like they're asking more and more for this specific role just interaction mm -hmm. design which is all about this because we notice yep. that okay mm, there are so many websites we need to stand out from the crowd and this is kind of like the good way to go yeah and i mean just nowadays and you know it's 2018 we we spend a lot of time online on our computers on our phones tablets um you know smart tvs so um, you know, people are spending times on time on these websites, and if you can keep them on there longer, you can show more ads. You can get them to buy more products. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just there's there's a lot of good good reasons to make your site fun and and keep people engaged. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, next topic, which is super fun, and I love this. Uh, I don't want to like smash or like i don't want to talk shit about windows but it's so fun to do it which i love it <laughs> like, it's just like they kind of like they want us to make fun of them which is fantastic uh but yeah windows recently switched to git moved the entire code base of the windows the operating system actually microsoft to switch to git put the mm -hmm. entire code base of windows on git and a total of 4 million commits with 10 million working items. Yeah, that's... <sighs> I can't fathom that. It's... <laughs> yeah, it's I think so uh, at one point they had in team services where they switched from, let me find my tab here, they had 80,000 accounts in team services. So 80,000 people either contributing code, managing pull requests, managing tickets. I mean, that, that is just, I mean, I've never worked on a team more than about 10 people, yeah. so I can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, it's easy for us to make fun of them because we're not in their situation. But yeah, yeah. like, I think from like with my really small knowledge about this, like I'm not an expert at all on just like how to build an operating system, how to manage an operating yeah. system and it's 20 years old. like. Mm -hmm. Why the hell did you do this? Like, it's it's insane. I think it's like, it's a mind blowing approach, like putting everything, your entire operating system on Git. And of course, like reading the articles and reading online other like reports and stuff, there were so many issues on doing this because Git of course works better if you have like, for the way Git was built for like, having small standalone portions of code and then you do <laughs> merging rebasing and then you have a master branch and every developer is able to work on a specific section without interfering with anyone else but right. instead microsoft put the entire source code 3.5 million files all in it like they have a 300 gigabyte repository <laughs> and I, I heard, I don't know if it's in the article, but I, I talked with a couple of friends that they have more insights. Basically, they told me that a Git status on a separated branch, it takes up to 10 minutes to complete. Just Git status. You wait 10 minutes. They had to be like Git had to build a sort of like interface layer on top of Git status in order to allow them to do it like faster and not like crawl yeah. all the 3.5 million files and they have these massive issues when two users at a time they uh do a git rebase or they merge two branches at the same time which with 80,000 developers <laughs> like like how many developers did you say sorry 
Uh, yeah, I think it was 80,000 80, accounts on team services. Yeah. So we 80,000 accounts. It will happen pretty much every minute that you have two users merging on the same repo mm -hmm. or the same branch. It's it's nuts. <laughs> it's like how I, I can imagine like you spend probably an hour a day coding and the other seven hours fixing conflicts, getting your pull requests actually working and <laughs> it's just insane. Like I, I, I can't imagine working in a in an environment like that. Yeah, that's 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 terrifying. And the thing that I love about this article are mostly the comments. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, one of the best comments is like one million commits <laughs> sticks out the pinky like uh, what was it, like Mike Myers no what was uh, the movie uh, yeah uh, Austin Powers Austin Powers exactly yeah. <laughs> one million commits oh, like all these ah oh, Jesus yeah all these other ones I get the issue is because Git wasn't intended for you to put, you know, your entire operating system into one yeah. repository. You're supposed to split the pieces up a bit. Mm -hmm. It's uh, which I don't know if it's actually possible because I don't know the actual structure, infrastructure, or architecture of Windows. Is it possible to split it in like small standalone sections that? you can work on it and then commit to a master branch or like a, to like a global branch, or you actually have to have the full code base in order to work on anything. Yeah, that, that is a good point. Um, I'm, I've never done any kind of like operating system development. Um, but uh, yeah, that is a really good point. If, if you can develop on a small portion of it, or if you really need everything and, and, and what does everything really include? Does it include, you know, Microsoft Office products, or is it just the the core operating system? Like, it's <laughs> what all is in there. It's, it's a lot of files. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yeah. I, I I don't know. It's just so sketchy. It's, it's so weird. I know. Like, probably. I think first. I think it's a good step in the right direction. Like, not using outdated or stupid old technologies yeah let's use git because git it's amazing but mm -hmm. they should use it in a proper way but i understand that okay let's switch version control system and let's refactor our entire operating system in order to <laughs> be separated in small files like no that's not doable of course you yeah. will spend like two years probably in doing that but yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's it feels so weird. It feels like it's gonna add so many issues to it that I don't know what what they were using before. Uh, they were using Team Services, which is their own um, version control system. And I, I've used Team Services in the past, and, and it's fine. Um, you know, I prefer Git just because like there's there's so much more documentation on it and so much more like oh I screwed up, but what do I do? Mm -hmm. You know, I can find that online a lot easier. Um, team services is fine. It's, uh, you know, they have their own, um, kind of like their own GitHub. Like, you know, you can see issues, you can track things, you can do them in a scrum fashion and move the cards around. So, um, I mean, it's fine. I don't know why they didn't just stick with that since it's their own product, but that's you know. an interesting question that probably ties perfectly with our next topic, which is, uh, Microsoft and open source. So yeah, Microsoft, interesting one. <laughs> yeah. And it, 
Microsoft in the past, I guess, one or two years is moving more and more towards adopting open source, even in their own products, even in like pretty much everything. Um, Microsoft just recently is contributing uh, half a million dollars to the Open Source Foundation. And they have a guy that now is part of, is a chairman in the board of direction of the Open Source Funda Foundation. They participated to the biggest Linux open source conference and they were like the main speakers there. They're adopting open source technology to rebuild Azure, their server offers, and uh, they just wish to get and all this like, what's happening here <laughs> <laughs> i think microsoft they, they've always kind of been behind the curve on some things um i went to a meeting at the microsoft office in austin texas about five years ago when windows 8 came out and they were just like it was they just pretty much invited a bunch of developers from the area and they were just like we're pushing the store we want apps on the store mm -hmm. and at this point the the Google Android store already had millions of apps. the the i the iPhone store had millions of apps. So they were really I think they were trying to like it was like this last ditch effort to save the Windows Phone. You know they had the Windows Phone and they had this idea of like well we can make apps run on both the Windows and on on the Windows Phone and on desktops, which is like okay that that's cool I can just develop for one thing and I can get on on both platforms, mm -hmm. but as a developer and I look at, if I'm gonna develop a mobile app, am I gonna really spend time to build an app that's only gonna work for you know, less than 5% of the population? Or am I gonna write for you know, iPhone that has a much larger chunk? I'm yeah. gonna make a lot more money spending the same amount of time for a larger audience. Um, so they're behind then, and I think that after that kind of failed, uh, they realized that the big move right now in technology is cloud. I mean, yeah. AWS and, you know, it, it's all cloud technology. Everybody wants to, you know, put stuff on the cloud. And I think they realized in order to compete, um, they needed to get their Azure service up and get a lot of customers. And the best way to do that is to make their stuff open so that you can write .NET apps using .NET Core, which is open source, put it on a Linux box on an Azure server mm -hmm. and get all the, when the Microsoft goodies from Azure, like... Um, you know, all the, the regular Windows security if you're doing, you know, a Windows corporate app or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that it was all kind of a move to get people on Azure. Yeah, definitely. Which is like, I totally agree with it, which is great. Like if you don't, if you cannot defeat them, like adopt them, right? <laughs> like yeah. they, they cannot <laughs> compete with open source. They cannot compete with Linux and they finally mm -hmm. realize it. So, okay, let's use it. Um, and also, like, it started all, I guess, with the Linux subsystem inside a Windows mm -hmm. machine, right? N now you can run yeah. Bash. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I remember them talking about it. Um, I was at a conference in, I think, 2015 when they were just rolling it out and they were showing it on projectors and everything. And it was like, oh, this is so cool because, like, I'm doing Windows development, but I want Linux tools. And, and it was, like, kind of like a best of both, both worlds, mm -hmm. you know? You know, I still prefer doing Linux development on a Linux machine, but it was, you know, it, it was cool. Yeah, uh, yeah so. probably they realized that PowerShell was 
trash. <laughs> I was like, ah, why bash is so easy? I'm like, well, it's better. It's just that overall, it's like works better, better commands. It's more intuitive mm-hmm. and it's faster. So like, okay, let's adopt it. Um, it's it's kind of cool. Like I see the cool aspect about it, like a massive corporation finally like pouring money inside open source, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, I guess it will help push in and improving the open source. A lot of projects is going to contribute a lot of a, a, a lot of cool projects. One of the the most recent one that is kind of like skyrocketed online is like uh, Microsoft Visual Studio Code or VS Code. Mm-hmm. There is this open source Electrum based application ID, sort of like code editor that you can turn into an ID, which is fantastic. Like a lot of users are adopting it and they're using it, even on Linux computers. It's like multi platform, it works everywhere. It's just marvelous. The thing that I'm afraid is that Microsoft doesn't have a good track record of being loyal to products that they acquire or things that they jump into it. They buy something, then they extend it for a bit, then they close it, and then they shut it down and implement it inside Windows. It's a sort of like, yeah, it's like it it was repeated many, many times in history. Like that happened (laughs) a lot. And one thing, if you want to just jump in the bandwagon of conspiracy theorist you can check the brian lunduk video about microsoft is buying open source it's good like he says a lot of like alarmistic things and stuff like that but is like a lot of things that he says i agree with with him uh, it's just like ads let me tell it um and it's <laughs> highlighting all the stuff that he he thinks is it's gonna happen because Microsoft now has the foot in the door, like has these massive, massive decision power in the Linux Foundation and then Open Source Foundation. And it's, um, yeah, it's interesting to see what they're gonna do in the next few years. Already in mm-hmm. like the recent Linux conference, they were the main panel and they had like a full day to showcase products that they were building and stuff like that. So yeah. That's gonna be interesting. I'm I'm looking at their yeah. GitHub account, and they have a thousand six hundred seventy-eight repositories and three thousand and almost eight hundred users, people yeah. like working on it. Yeah, I mean, I know TypeScript uh, really took off with Angular too, because uh, Angular really adopted TypeScript. And yeah. um, I mean, I still prefer just regular JavaScript, <laughs> yeah. but you know. Um, yeah, Visual Studio Code is their their most popular one, and I mean it's a great editor. I, I I've used it. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, .NET Core. It's it's re- it's really cool that they made .NET Core because I I really liked working in .NET for a web API standpoint. Mm. Um, I just I really liked C Sharp, but dealing with Windows servers was always a pain. Yes, um, it was always expensive. It was always just a pain to deal with securities and just getting the IIS, which is like their version of like Apache, to just work correctly. And it's like, just work. I just put my site up, you know. <laughs> so now that they have .NET Core, which I haven't played with, you can actually write in C Sharp and put it on a, on a Linux box. So, oh, interesting. Um, it's, a, it's a cool move. Um, it's something that's been on my checklist of like, I want to play with this one day. And then just, you know, I fell in love with, with 
Laravel, so I'd yeah, <laughs> it's moved further down my list. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of confuses me. I always like Microsoft was for years and years just like the monolith against mm-hmm. open source, and just everything everything that Microsoft does is closed source, like a majority mm-hmm. from like where they grabbing majority of their money or their cash. It's closed source, like Xbox. Mm-hmm and right. uh, Windows itself and all the other products like Office and Azure, everything is closed source. So now they're jumping in the open sourcing and they're releasing sort of like a, a little bit of stuff, but they're building new products. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting transition moment. I don't know, are you scared that they could potentially arm open source and the Linux community or it's kind of like a, a, a stupid thought? <laughs> to, to arm it? Yeah. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, like, kind of like, I wouldn't say like they will be able to basically like buy the entire open source and just like the entire Linux community, put it in their own mm-hmm. software and just like close the Linux community or like make right. Linux closed source. But something similar, do you think like something weird could happen? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think if they did something like that, it would uh, it would upset, you know, the largest development community in the in the world so you know i I think if if you upset that many developers uh i'm sure a lot of those developers are using azure as some kind of service at some point Mm -hmm. so i don't know i think that would be kind of a stupid move on their part but i don't know it's microsoft so (laughs) yeah exactly we we could also say the same it's kind of stupid to force updates of your machine while a computer is asleep or Mm -hmm resetting all the custom settings of a user every time they update a machine or like in the background stealing user data without telling anyone but microsoft <laughs> yeah. is doing that <laughs> yeah that's true when does it end like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's interesting i'm kind of like uh yeah i'm on the fence i'm kind of like 50 50 it's super cool that microsoft is investing a lot of money into open source and i think it's going to push a lot of boundaries and it's going to improve uh, mm-hmm. a lot of aspects about Linux, but I'm also a little bit terrified because Microsoft is like, especially Windows is a direct competitor of Linux. So yeah. like mm-hmm. what are you gonna actually work to improve Linux or it's just a strategy because if you improve Linux too much, then Windows will get affected negatively by these improvements. So um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I think Windows is always going to win in the corporate world. Mm. Um, yeah, corporations move very slowly, and they're used to Windows. And um, I think you know you're not going to have large companies like where I work all of a sudden be like everybody's going to be using Ubuntu, you know, because um, <laughs> people are going to be like, what is this? It looks different. I yeah. don't like it, you know. So, <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I think that they're always going to have that that huge corporate market share. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Let's see. We'll see next year where we're at. Like yeah. Linux doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Linus Torvalds was murdered by a, like randomly. <laughs> he just disappeared. He had disappeared like out of the blue. <laughs> okay, we ran up. Uh, we we completed like we finished all the topics of this of this mm-hmm. amazing episode. It's more than an hour that we're talking and we're saying a lot of stupid things, but it's great. <laughs> um, let's talk a, a little bit about projects that we're working on. Uh, you said before the episode that you just switched 
to elementary OS on your System76 mm -hmm. machine. So first, which System76 computer do you have? It is, I can actually show it. Yay. It's an older model. So uh, right before the move, um, I had a, a laptop. It was about a four-year-old HP mm -hmm. um, that I had installed System76 or uh, installed elementary on. And I had tried a few different distros for a while. Um, and all of a sudden it just, it just stopped working. Like there's corruption in the BIOS. So I was like, well, whatever I was, I was originally planning at the end of this year, getting probably a new gazelle or a, um, a Galago pro. Oh yeah. I was like, I, I think I really want that one, but I wanted to wait till the end of the year. Um, but with my laptop dying, I was like, you know, I'm already spending all this money on this, this whole cross country relocation and everything. Yeah. But I found this, uh, this is, um, an older model. Uh, gazelle pro oh nice um, i think it's about five years old but you know it's got a quad core it's got eight gigs of ram which i'll probably expand yeah and, um i mean it was super easy to just like unhook the back throw in a solid state drive i did it in like 20 minutes yeah less. exactly um and yeah so i put in a solid state drive wiped it put a new uh elementary os on it and it's it's running amazing yeah nice. the only thing i can complain about is um i'm going to replace the battery because it lasts like 40 minutes and then it dies oh well <laughs> yeah, it's a four years old laptop but hey yeah you can't yeah. replace the battery which is amazing yes. right yeah i get one for like 35 bucks online and you know you have a five hours last battery that like it's like a new computer yeah. right yeah and with shipping i think i paid like right around 300 us dollars so it was uh you know, something that I could do now, and I'm like, you know, in another year, if I want, if I do want to get a newer model, then I can definitely do that then, and then sell this one. But uh, for now, it's it's a, a great little development machine, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's what I love about System76. Even if like the major complaint that I'm seeing, and also some users that they follow me, they they told me like, oh, that laptop looks ugly. It's bulky. Mm -hmm. It's not thin. It's not cool. Yeah. It's not made of metal or aluminum. Yeah, this one is old, and it is it is quite. Yeah, it's, it's quite thick, thick. And, and pretty heavy. So yeah. <laughs> look at that VGA VGA port. So oh, yeah. good. Yeah, it yeah. does have HDMI too. So it's, yeah, it's exactly. Fine. It's fine. Uh, but the things that I love is just like first I kind of like try to not care anymore about the aspect like about the, the aesthetic of thing yes of course i want a cool laptop but i'm not spending that much money just to have something that i can showcase and i can be cool in my mm -hmm. pictures and when i work at a coffee shop i need a machine that works and i need a machine that after two or three years where it starts like jumping and having some issues i can open yeah. and easily replace some parts and not spend oh, yeah. other two thousand dollars on a new machine that gonna have the same problem after a year or two so i i love about this about the, the system sensei 6 um mm -hmm. yeah that's also why i didn't i was on the fence like I, do i get like the dell xps or a system 76 because also right. dell xps it's fantastic looks super slick but same issues, like super hard to open, super mm -hmm. thin, limited number of ports, and you cannot replace the battery and all the other stuff. So do I want another piece of plastic that after two years I have to throw away or sell at a really, really low <laughs> price? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just 
creating all this garbage. Yeah, so I'm I'm super happy with it. I'll I'll definitely buy another System 76 in the future. Nice. And you're in the US, so it's way better for you. I have to pay a stupid <laughs> stupid amount <laughs> for like delivery and crossing the border and fees and yeah. taxes just like uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, my 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 fiance was not impressed when I decided to buy another computer you want to buy. Uh, yeah, but this is cool. <laughs> that was the worst. Um, so how was your experience with Elementary S so far? Um, yeah, so I, I've used Ubuntu a lot over the years, um, just kind of off and on. Um, really liked it, um, but uh, I really like the, the GNOME operating system a little better in terms of like the aesthetics. Yeah. Um, not really a big fan of Unity. Uh, so I was trying Mint for a while. Um, and then I know you were kept talking about elementary. So I was like, all right, whatever. It's Linux. I can just throw it on a flash drive, plug it in, and it, and it runs. Yeah. So, um, played with it. And now I've got it on my, um, my desktop, my, uh, or my tower, and uh, also on this laptop. So um, I'm really loving it. And it's, it's, it's really fast. Like, I, I feel like it, it just runs very fast. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And I think uh, it runs super smoothly because it's um, it's uh, a C, basically it's uh, it's built in Vala, like the entire desktop environment is built in Vala. I know like I really like the GNOME desktop environment as well. It's like feels way better and more intuitive for me than other desktop environments. But the thing is that in bu it's built in JavaScript, which mm. is like stupid slow. It's yeah. Like, why? <laughs> you build a desktop environment is JavaScript, <laughs> this is insane. Um, instead, the developers at uh, Elementary US, they built in Vala, which spits out in C, I guess, or C++, not 100% mm -hmm. sure. But you notice, you notice the difference, even with a, a, an old laptop that doesn't have the best RAM ever, best mm -hmm. CPU, yeah. it still like runs pretty smooth. And Elementary OS has also the example of a good operating system, which is um, split in different small parts. It's not one gigantic source code. Everything like the uh, desktop environment has is formed by like the wing panel. That is the thing that launches the application. Then has the uh, plank that is the bottom bar. Then has Gala that is the window manager. Everything is like, mm -hmm small applications they interface with the core base architecture and they work nicely which is super cool oh it's yeah way easier to their, manage uh, yeah pull up their github right now and it's cool that they have like you know their app center is their own separate repository mm -hmm. the um the the wallpapers like all these things are all all separated so i mean it, the, the music player everything is all separated it's it's really nice and easy to just, just see the code that you need to modify if you want to yeah, contribute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you then get lost and you have way less issues like in merging or even, the, I, don't, I don't know how many developers, like main developers are working. I think they have like three or four people top working full time. Everyone mm -hmm. else is like contributing or doing something part-time or submitting apps but right. because the code is so well separated and well organized you can literally just like tap a single like you find a bug you can go in the repository of that specific section and fix the bug without affecting the massive 300 gigabytes 3.5 million files <laughs> of the operating yeah. system it's way more manageable in the long run way more scalable mm -hmm. 
Awesome. Um, so from from my hand, just to conclude the episode, then I'm going to start cooking some lunch because I'm starving. <laughs> I'm recording a lot of tutorials for WordPress. I want to finish the plugin development series as soon as possible because I'm kind of tired. Uh, I reached the point where I built the infrastructure of the plugin and there's nothing new to show. It's all about let's reuse the same controllers, let's reuse the same components and Let's build the taxonomies and let's build the widgets and let's build this. It's a bit of like repeated code. There's not a more like exciting stuff to showcase. So I'm trying to speed up a little bit to conclude it. And um, then I was planning to start a Laravel series, like introduction to Laravel. Oh, nice. Yeah, we'll mm -hmm. see. let's see how it goes. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> I'm kind of like finding difficult for me to make it super simple because Laravel at first, it can be overwhelming. There are like so many folders and you have the regular MVC structure and then you have the events mm -hmm. and then you have the listeners and then you have the filters and then the helpers. And then you have like, all so like broadcasting, like so many different things that for a new developer is like, oh, what the fuck? I don't know what to do. Yeah. So I, I need to like, I'm trying, I'm structuring the, the, the series to just be like simple like where do you go what are these folders and if you do have to do something really really simple let's follow one two three steps which is kind of right. challenging uh because sometimes i give for granted that like okay you create a controller with artisan and you use artisan to run a migration and it's okay it works <laughs> it's so easy you know? but right. when i started using laravel three years ago it was like so overwhelming it's like oh mm -hmm. the hell yeah, if you're not used to building like full scale applications, it's 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 a lot of new topics and um, yeah, there's a lot to Laravel. I mean, it's in terms of making an app, it's it's very simple. Mm -hmm. Like once you really understand the concepts, it's like I can just put this together so fast, it's amazing. And but yeah, like breaking it down to very little pieces is is uh, I'm sure a very difficult task. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh... I'm sure it's gonna. I'm gonna fail miserably. I'm gonna release the first couple <laughs> of videos, and no one's like, "This is wrong. You're saying wrong things." Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's gonna be tough. Uh, the other thing that I'm doing, I'm keep uh, trying to build Akira, the UX design application for Linux, which is so horribly hard. I'm like losing <laughs> my mind. I spent probably three weeks just to build the layer panel, and it's almost done. I need a, like, I, it's insane how when you switch and when you change, you don't do any more like web development and you do mm -hmm. software development. It's so hard in terms that nothing works. You have yeah. to take care of every single aspect. Like in like with JavaScript online, if you want to build a list that you can drag and drop and reorder the list, it's like really 20 seconds. There are so many mm -hmm. packages, like script yep. that you can use and automatically the script, JavaScript is pretty smart to know that, okay, if you want to reorder and then you scroll with the mouse while you're dragging, you should scroll and keep dragging. And then when you drop it, you should reorder the other things that are on top and then put it where you dropped it. But mm -hmm. with software developer, that the software doesn't know that. You have to yep. tell it it's exactly, God, a lot of math, a lot of math. <laughs> so hard. Oh, yeah. It's been a while since I've done any kind of desktop development. Yeah. Uh, 
It, I like the web so much better. <laughs> oh my God, it's so easy. Like web development, so easy. Yeah. Now I understand why when I started doing web development, I was talking with software engineers. They were like kind of laughing like, oh yes, web, yeah. <laughs> it's easy. I was like, oh, you're just being dicks. No, they're right. <laughs> web is easy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Like almost done the, the layer panel should like probably another couple of days and finger crossed it should be done. And then I will start building the actual canvas to draw things mm -hmm. and if that works i can hook it up to the layer panel uh i will release the first alpha version to test which i don't know it's awesome gonna... i think I'm it's gonna take me like a year <laughs> yeah. i don't know like it's it's a little bit over my head this project like i didn't i didn't think through when i started it like yeah i'm gonna <laughs> build it no i'm not good at this <laughs> but yeah you're just ambitious yeah, or crazy, or like I do, <laughs> like I should stop doing cocaine or stuff like that. No, <laughs> no I don't. I don't. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, it's. I think it's pretty much it for this episode. Do you have mm -hmm. something to plug in? Like, where can we find you? Where? What new videos are you gonna publish on your YouTube channel? Something you want to announce? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still continuing the um, the Tailwind WordPress theme series. Uh, I've got one on. An animation series doing animations in CSS. Um, so a lot to do there. I do have a video coming out tomorrow on Laravel and it's it's not really for beginners. It's more of just like, I was like, hey, I, I want to add this feature to an existing application. So I'm just going to record myself and, and put it out there. Nice. So, awesome. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I added a uh, Slack notification to kickoffwp.com. So when somebody signs up, I just get a notification. Um, Love so it was... It, it was super easy because Laravel is awesome. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that video will be up, I believe, tomorrow. Um, but yeah, you can find me at chrisperko.net. Uh, you found me on Twitter, Chris J. Perko, um, or here on YouTube. Awesome. Fantastic. Oh, as usual, all the links will be in the description below the video, including, I guess, all the links of the articles and topics we talked about during this podcast. Mm -hmm. I need, honestly, I need to start doing like timestamps of the topics i never do that because it's so boring and i just like i don't want to do it but like with an hour and plus minutes of you know podcast i need to do timestamps but yeah okay thank you so much chris and uh, thank, oh, thank you guys you. for watching this video if you're on youtube or of listen this podcast be sure to like subscribe leave a comment tell us if you want us to talk about another topic or something else and happy coding Happy coding. Have a good one.